Hello, I'm Rodri Priest, CFA, Senior Head of Research at CFA Institute, and I would like to welcome you all today to this latest episode of the CFA UK In Conversation podcast. This is the show for investment professionals focusing on a whole manner of topics and interesting insights that are affecting the profession today. In this episode, we will be talking about the topic of investor trust, and this follows on the heels of a recently published uh, CFA Institute report, Enhancing Investors' Trust, uh, which highlights very high levels of trust in financial services. I will be joined today by my colleague, Rebecca Fender, CFA. She is Head of Strategy and Governance for Research, Advocacy and Standards at CFA Institute and is the lead author of the Trust Study. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks, Rodri. It's great to be here. Good to have you with me, Rebecca, and I'm um, looking forward to talking about the recently released Investors' Trust Study. Before we start discussing the findings of the 2022 Investor Trust Study, Rebecca, um, first off, perhaps you can talk about the motivations for conducting this exercise. I believe this is the fifth study in the series that dates back to 2013. What was the motivation for CFA Institute in first conducting uh, an exercise to gauge the, the level of uh, trust amongst both retail and institutional investors? Well, as some listeners may know, there is a, the Edelman does an annual trust barometer, and they have done this for more than 20 years at this point, and they ask the general public, how much do you trust different industries? And so for many years, and especially after the global financial crisis, financial services was at the bottom. In fact, it's still the least trusted amongst the industries that they look at. And so our hypothesis was that we thought maybe investors who actually know us a little bit better would have a more positive view. So in 2013, CFA Institute did the first investor trust study. And in fact, at that point, the answer was, no, there was no difference. <laughs> investors didn't trust the financial services industry that much more. But as time's gone on, we have been able to refine the way we look at this and understand what are the real drivers of trust. And so we have then done this study <clears throat> every other year since that, um, since then, so the, the latest here in 2022, and we have found that it really doesn't matter how you engage with financial services, and that impacts trust, and also, more importantly, tells the investment industry how we can do better. Great. So let's get into uh, the details. So you, you talked about um, you know, where trust has come from uh, in the origins or in the aftermath, rather, of the financial crisis when we first did this study back in 2014. Um, trust, I understand, has risen up the rankings quite significantly um, over the years since. And we now find, I think, in this latest study that trust among both retail and institutional investors uh, is the highest on record in financial services. Um, why do you think that is? What are some of the key factors um, behind this, this increase in trust levels to their highest uh, since the series began? Yeah, it's... It's kind of funny because I go around and we'll talk about this topic and I'll pull people and ask, do you think trust is higher or lower than it was two years ago? And so many people are surprised that, that trust is so much higher. But I think there are really five main reasons for this. The first is, of course, there's been pretty strong performance in the markets in the last couple of years. So certainly we had the disruption, particularly in March of 2020. But a lot of markets have done very, very well performance-wise. So we can't isolate a perfect correlation between trust and performance, but we know there is a positive relationship. So that's the first point. The second point also relates to net returns in the sense that we have seen some fee compression and 
certainly institutional investors are driving this. We find that a very significant majority of the investment uh, institutional investors that we surveyed said they have negotiated fees downward in the last couple of years. And then, of course, you've seen that also in the retail investor area, too, with, with zero commission trading and so forth. And then the other areas um, relate to different ways to invest. So technology is the third big driver. And we look at how technology has uh, increased transparency. And transparency is very clearly related to trust. More information gives people more comfort with how financial services works and how their investments are doing. And then technology also drives more access to the markets. And we found different ways that uh, people can engage different products and so forth. And then lastly, customization and personalization uh, relates to these this expanded set of opportunities in the marketplace. And when people can relate to their investments more, whether it's more ESG-focused or direct indexing or other types of products, they're just much more willing to trust the system. Okay, so let's examine a little bit how these trust levels break down across the markets covered in the trust study. Um, so we've included 15 different geographic markets in the scope of the study, and we see varying levels of trust in financial services across those markets. What are some of the markets and regions that stood out in terms of having high trust levels in financial services? What are some of the markets that had lower trust levels? And where do you see some of the biggest differences compared to 2020? Well, there are significant differences across the world in terms of trust. But again, in most markets, trust has increased. And the United States and Singapore have experienced the largest increases in trust levels since 2020. And this brings them from below average to above average. Um, Canada and Hong Kong have only had modest increases in trust levels. So they're now slightly lower than the global average of 60% among retail investors. But otherwise, there's relative consistency in the highest trust markets. So, for example, India, the United Arab Emirates, and China are in the top three. At the other end of the spectrum, Australia, which had the lowest level of trust in 2020, they experienced a significant increase in trust, but they are still at the low end of the trust spectrum, along with Germany and Japan. Uh, the UK, for example, is at 51%, so uh, an increase of 18 percentage points from two years ago, but still a bit below that, the global average. Great. So we see some differences in trust levels across the markets. Can you talk a little bit about differences in trust levels within the retail investor cohort as a whole? Um, I know in the survey that we've looked at uh, the views of investors that have financial advisors and compare that with the views of investors that don't have financial advisors. Can you give us some uh, indications of uh, the differences that you see in trust between retail investors with and without an advisor? And also, do we see any significant differences across generations as well? So, um, you know, again, maybe perhaps you can, you can talk a little bit more about uh, some of the differences within the retail investor segment uh, in the results. Sure. When we look at retail investors, there's a significant difference between those with a financial advisor and those without. And so as you might expect, those with a financial advisor are much more likely to trust the financial industry and also really many of the products within it. So just to give you a sense of the numbers, if we look at trust levels of retail investors without an advisor, it's only about 47% versus 69% of those with an advisor. 
So a, a significant um, difference. Both have increased again since the last couple, since 2020. But we do see that there is a break in between, in between these two groups. And one of the interesting things I thought was, in fact, when we asked about different types of people you might trust, those with a financial advisor said that they trust doctors most and financial advisors second. And then we had others such as accountants and lawyers, mechanics, politicians, and so forth. Those without a financial advisor said they distrusted financial advisors only a little bit less than politicians. So you can see a big divide there. There is some active distrust amongst those who are not using an advisor. But maybe back again to the those with an advisor. What does this mean in practice? It, the, the higher trust levels mean that these are people who are much more engaged in markets and then much more eager to adopt new products. So we ask, would you like to be an early adopter? Are you interested in getting access to new products from your financial advisor? And um, a strong majority of those, again, with an advisor are interested in this. Now, this means they have higher interest levels in things like we talked about, um, direct investing or direct indexing, different uh, cryptocurrency, and uh, many other products. Great. So um, one of the uh, key factors that you outlined at the start around uh, the, the, the ex in terms of the explanations for higher levels of trust in financial services was the increased use of technology. And uh, one of the more notable, notable developments for retail investors over the past um, two years or so has been the, uh, the prevalence and availability of new retail trading apps, um, which have facilitated access to markets for um, let's say the math, the math affluent um, retail investing class. Um, can you talk to me about the findings uh, that the study shows around uh, the perceptions and views of retail investors around new trading tools and apps? Do they increase trust levels? Do we see much differences in, in attitudes towards um, new retail trading tools across generational cohorts? Um, yeah, what are the views of our investors uh, surveyed in this report around um, new retail trading tools? Yeah, well, we were very interested to learn more about those who are using retail trading accounts, given the increase in the last couple of years in, in that. And you find that adoption is highest amongst millennials. But overall, we found that about 54% of those in our survey have a retail trading account. Um, amongst millennials, this is closer to uh, two-thirds. And then our question was, how does this change their behaviors? So we know that a lot of that these apps will do digital nudges, a push notification to, to impact how you act in the markets. And so we found that 92% of millennials trust digital nudges to be in their best interest. And along with that, um, about three, um, three quarters say that retail trading tools will increase the frequency of their trading, which of course um, is good for the app provider and uh, may or may not be good for the investor. Um, lastly, though, we, we asked about how people are interacting with these tools in terms of learning more about the markets. And there, there's a positive element that um, close to 90% again of millennials say that they understand the markets more through using these tools. So we recognize that there is a role for these apps and these different uh, technology 
applications more broadly to help in investor ed. So um, staying with the theme of technology, um, one of the interesting or the most interesting aspects, I think, in this report is related to attitudes towards cryptocurrencies. And particularly, do um, individuals and institutions have high levels of trust in cryptocurrencies with regard to uh, whether they will hold their value, whether crypto uh, custody and trading platforms provide um, you know, sufficient integrity? Um, and you know, do individuals even trust um, those that promote cryptocurrencies in, in uh, marketing and other advertisements and so on and so forth? So there's some really interesting points there around those aspects. Um, we also found, I think, that uh, two-thirds of institutional investors currently invest in cryptocurrencies, um, which perhaps is surprising. It's, a, it's quite a high number. Um, maybe that's, that was not um, a result that uh, people may have expected. Um, can you talk more about that finding and, and perhaps uh, refer to how that breaks down across some of the institutional investor types that are included in this survey? Sure. As you said, this is one of those findings that many have found a bit surprising. But um, in fact, two-thirds of institutional investors say they currently invest in cryptocurrencies. And we did not ask how large those allocations are. And we do know that there's research, including some that was done by the CFA Institute Research Foundation, to indicate that a small allocation to crypto can be very beneficial from a diversification standpoint. So I just want to caveat with that, the that we don't know the allocation amounts, but within the institutional investor um, segment, we looked more specifically at the types of organizations, and we found that the, the one that is most likely to say they invest in cryptocurrencies are actually state and government pension plan sponsors. So more than 90% of them say they are investing in crypto now. So that was interesting. Uh, meanwhile, only about a third of retail investors currently invest in crypto, although certainly we see a lot of advertising to try to get that number up. Um, and again, it, it ranges a lot by market. So you see that a lot of more developing markets are higher users of crypto. So about two-thirds of retail investors in India versus just 7% of those in Canada. Um, then also we wanted to get a deeper sense of how do people think about trust in crypto because they are pretty interlinked concepts. So we asked those institutional investors, do you trust first that cryptocurrencies will hold their value? I get more than 80% said yes. We asked, do you trust the companies or the custodians that are you know, providing trading and custodian services? Again, more than 80% said yes. And lastly, do you trust the individuals promoting crypto? And the same answer. So 82% said yes. So um, high levels of trust in crypto. Again, we know that there are correlations between recent performance and, and trust. So we'll see as this develops. So moving on now to look at the section around personalization in the report. Again, this is another uh, factor that can uh, enhance trust. Um, and um, this section is interesting. It explores some of the preferences and motivations towards sustainability and ESG-related investments. Um, can you talk firstly around overall trust levels in ESG messaging? Because I think this has been a, a, a frequently cited concern um, amongst investors and other stakeholders that there are uh, potential claims of greenwashing in the industry. So it's, it, let's firstly, perhaps you can just speak to um, those issues around greenwashing. Uh, and then secondly, um, I'd be interested to know 
um, firstly among retail investors, what are the ESG issues that really motivate um, investors uh, to to invest in ESG related products and, and services? Sure. So we found that uh, a significant majority of institutional investors trust ESG messaging and net zero pledges. About eighty seven percent said yes. I trust these messages. So I think that is particularly interesting for the industry to know as there have been questions about how much should messages be trusted and how can you have an accurate message? That's part of the motivation we had for uh, releasing the ESG disclosure standard, which um, the industry is interested in in figuring out how that will work. Um, And then amongst retail investors, only about half say they are very likely to trust those messages. So it is interesting to see a little more skepticism within the retail investor segment. As we asked a little more about what are the ESG issues that are important to you, we found that retail investors are most focused on environmental areas. So number one was climate change and carbon emissions. Uh, Number two was clean energy. And the third was air and water pollution. So again, that's amongst retail investors. Uh, Next were some social issues around human rights and uh, data protection and privacy. Uh, But if we compare those to what institutional investors are interested in, they respond with a much more varied group of interests. And so not as much differentiation, see really some E, S, and G and what institutional investors say their number one issue, in fact, is data protection and privacy. Uh, number two is sustainable supply chain management, and then climate comes in at number three. Great. So building out on this issue around personalization and, and uh, values and motivations, um, one of the questions that is addressed in the report is how important is it to investors to have a personal connection to an advisor um, whether that's in the form of values or particular views on certain issues. Um, what are the findings there? How important is, is an alignment of, of values or interest between the client and the advisor? Uh, and, and does that, does that, um, to what extent does that influence trust in financial services? Personal connection is one of those key elements in trust. And so to get at this more deeply, we asked, is it important for you to have an advisor who shares your values? And we found across the individual investors, uh, about 40% said yes. About uh, another third said it's somewhat important. And only about a quarter said no, this is important. So again, we recognize that trust overall is this question of what will it take for me to hand my money over to someone else to manage? And so knowing that you've got some alignment from a values perspective is important. Uh, now, this did vary a lot, again, by market around the world. So it was most important to those in China, least important to those in Canada. And the UK was at, was pretty much right in the middle. So about a third, a third, a third in terms of saying, yes, it's important, somewhat important or not and um, final question, really. So thank you, Rebecca, firstly, for talking us through uh, a broad cross-section of the key data points from this study. Um, so we, we find overall that there's high levels of trust in financial services. What can firms and advisors do to sustain that client trust in the long term? There are really three main things that we would encourage firms to do. The first is use technology effectively. 
we have seen that technology is not only a trusted industry in itself, but we know that both institutional and retail investors say they trust the people and firms they work with more if they're using technology effectively. And that can be anything from the communication platforms you use with clients to the the, the back end and, and um, AI and all sorts of other technology you could use. So that's really becoming much more an expectation and certainly builds trust. The second area is really around alignment of interest. So we always talk at CB Institute about conflicts of interest and concerns there. That's still important, but this takes it even to a higher level and says you need to understand your client's personal interests or an institution's purpose and objectives and their wider expectations for how their funds are invested. And then the last area is around connections, building personal connections. So uh, we see at the organizational level, investors are looking to brands as a proxy for trust. And at the advisor level, the virtual only client relationship model that has been in place for a while is really unlikely to be sustainable long-term. So we had looked at some specific areas that are high trust situations and asked how important is it to you to meet in person, for example. Um, but you know, a majority said, I need to meet somebody in person to trust them. So as we think about due diligence efforts going forward and maintaining any relationships that were built recently, it will be important for individual advisors and also firms to think about the mode of, con uh, of communication as well as the message. So thank you very much, Rebecca, for chatting with me today. And thank you to everyone for listening to this podcast. Do remember to look out for the next episode of our In Conversation podcast through the usual CFA UK email and social media channels. You can also subscribe so that you don't miss an episode through CFA UK's SoundCloud channel or on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much again for listening, and uh, we, we wish you well. Thanks, Robert. Thank you.